All right, so last week we talked about, we were in the book of Ephesians, and we talked about uh, spiritual warfare, and we kind of began this last little section, this last little part where Paul says, finally then, and he, he begins to describe um, the spiritual battle we're in. And uh, I ended up last week by encouraging you and challenging you to be strong in the Lord, right? To be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And I was hoping as you got done last week, I was just envisioning in my mind people going out into the week saying, okay, all right, I can, I can do the things that God wants me to do. And maybe you've been that way before. Maybe you've had some time in your life where you thought, all right, I, I've, I've messed up before, or I haven't quite got there before, but this is the time. I'm, I'm going to live for God. All right, God, and maybe you've even gone the whole distance. You said, all right, God, this point in my life here, my life is yours. You can have it. I'm going to live for you. And you just, maybe, maybe even last week you were kind of feeling that a little bit. You're hearing, yeah, that's right. It's not about, in fact, I love that idea, the, the reality that God doesn't choose the strong things of the world and the wise things of the world, that He chooses the weak things of the world and the foolish things. I love that. It gives me hope, right? It gives me hope. I say, well, maybe God can use me. If He chooses the weak and foolish things of the world, I've got a chance. And maybe you're like that too. Maybe you enjoy the idea that, hey, God doesn't just look down and say, what are they really good at? He actually looks at it and says, where are their weaknesses? And then he says, in your weakness, you will be made strong. And maybe you like it, you're going, man, that's great. And so maybe you were thinking, okay, that's all right, God. I'm yours. I'm going to live for you. My, I, I don't have to just think it's all about my willpower because I know I'm going to mess up. But I'm, I'm going to give my life to you and I'm going to live for you. And maybe that, they got you through Monday. Maybe, maybe you got your Bible out and you brushed the dust off your Bible and you thought, I'm going to read my Bible this week. You got it out and you, you didn't know where to start, so you just picked a place. Maybe you made it through Tuesday, but then something started to happen. It just started to feel like the, the universe was arrayed against you. Have you ever felt that way before? Maybe on Sundays when you're wanting, you, you know, it's like, man, I really know I should probably go to church today. I mean, that, let's, we don't even have to argue that for a minute. Uh, most people know God probably wants me in church, okay? Even if there's different thoughts about it. I, I think God wants me to go. And maybe, man, it just seems like you get it. And everything's working against you being there or you doing the things God wants you to do or you reading your Bible or spending time. For, it just seems like everything's working against you. Have you ever felt that way before? Oh, come on. Am I the only one that's felt that way? Who's felt that way before? It just seems like, oh, there we go. That's what I was expecting. It just seems like the, the things are just arrayed against you. And you know what? Here's the neat thing. That's not just your paranoia. It might actually be true that the universe might be arrayed against you. <gasps> Did you find it? Oh, yes. Let's see if I have the power. There we go. Look at that. Here's our passage again this week, Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to start with verse 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That's what we talked about last week. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And listen to this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against, listen, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. 
Interesting. Did you hear some of those words in there? Rulers. Some of your versions say principalities. We're not talking about people, are we? We're getting into some some spiritual stuff. Are we talking about, what, spiritual beings? Dare we say it, demons? Are, Are there actual spiritual beings that have a presence that are working against us? Sounds a little sci-fi, doesn't it? But this is what Paul's talking about. Principalities or rulers, authorities. I like this next one. Cosmic powers over this present darkness. So see, when you got up on Sunday morning, you're thinking, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. It just feels like everything's working. The cars broke down, and this is happening, and this other thing's, and it just this thing goes wrong. This. There's actually some truth to that. The cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places or in the heavenlies. And we could spend some time discussing each one of these, these different ways of describing this, this evil that's working against us, spiritual forces. I mean, the reality is there are, there are spiritual forces at work that are beyond, and I can't speak for all of us, but I'm going to say for me, there are spiritual forces at work that are beyond my understanding. I don't understand all of it. There's hierarchies of spiritual beings at work. And so it's true when Paul says this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our wrestling, the, the, and, and really, literally that's what it's talking about, our wrestling, our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against these things, these principalities, these powers, these rulers of darkness, evil. Our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. That means your biggest problems in your life is not your neighbors or your boss or a friend or an enemy. The real challenge is a spiritual challenge. There are spiritual beings that are working against you. And so this week, what I want to talk about is this. I want to talk about knowing your enemy. Knowing your enemy. I, when I say this, I always feel like I need to say it in a samurai voice or something. Can you see it here, samurai saying that? Know your enemy. Right? Can you hear that? I can hear that. That's what, I'm, that's what I think. Whenever time I say know your enemy, that's what I'm thinking. I just, why? Uh, you know, to, to defeat your enemy, you have to know your enemy. You have to know what he's up to. What's his plan? What's he trying to do? How is he trying to defeat you? What's his goal? And so we want to take a look at our enemy. And I'm going to take a look at just a few things that are true about our enemy. I mean, the, I, mean I could spend weeks studying this person that we call Satan, the devil. But I just want to talk about some basic things that are true about him as we are in the spiritual battle. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, I was going to do something for God this week. I was going to try to live for him, and I was trying to give him my life and, and do the things he wants me to do. And, man, it just seemed like everything was working against me this week to do that. You might have been right. There was something working against you. And so we want to take a look at who this enemy is. And so, first of all, number one, he's real. He's real. Satan is a real spiritual being with a real personality. He's a real person, so to speak. Used to be an angelic creature. He goes by a lot of different names in Scripture. Paul usually calls him Satan. 
Satan is a word that is a Hebrew word, an ancient Hebrew word that means the accuser. And that's much of what Satan does. He stands accusing us to God. See what they're like, the accuser. Paul usually calls him Satan. Jesus calls him Satan quite often through the the Gospels. Here in Ephesians, Paul didn't call him Satan. He called him something else. He called him the, the devil. Right? The word devil, in this passage, it means the deceiver. That's what Satan is. He's a deceiver. Other places, Jesus calls him things like the evil one. He's also called the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He goes by a lot of different names. But he is real. He was created by God. And... I'm not sure exactly at what point it happened, but at some point between God creating the heavens and the earth and and people, Adam and Eve, some point between that and God making a a pronouncement, it's it's good. God looked at everything He made and He said, it's good. At some point between that moment and Eve in the garden being tempted by Satan, at some point between there, I don't know how long it was, Satan fell. Lucifer fell. His sin, he wanted to be like God. He saw the worship, the glory that God was getting, and he wanted some for himself. He wanted to be like God and take that glory for himself. And many of the angels fell with him. He was the highest of the angels. We know that he was a worship leader of leading in the music, but he wanted to be God. Number two, besides these things, Satan, he's not in hell right now. Now, I know that you've watched plenty of Bugs Bunny cartoons, and you've seen him sitting down in hell waiting for people to show up to deal with. That is not accurate. That is not where Satan is at. He is not in hell. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul called him the prince of the power of the air, In more than one place, Jesus calls him the God of this world. This is his domain, the earth. We know even from the Old Testament that he still has the ability to to enter into God's presence. We see in the book of Job, uh, Satan shows up in God's presence and, and, and God sees him there. And it says this, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Not that God didn't know. From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth. You hear that? I'm going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. I mean, his abode is here. He's wandering around here. We hear, uh, Peter talks about him being like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But let me jump to this next one, number three. Satan doesn't have a pitchfork and horns. Okay, once again, I know I know you've been raised properly with Bugs Bunny, but that is not an accurate dis- description of Satan. Satan was an angel. He's an angelic creature. We read in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we read this, for, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, which makes sense if you know who he is and what he's after. He doesn't come to us with goat legs and horns and a pitchfork with red skin. That's not who he is. He comes to us in the appearance of light even the appearance or the seeming 
appearance of righteousness. But what is true about Satan? Number four, Satan opposes and tries to destroy every work of God. Everything that God is doing, Satan, his goal is to destroy the works of God. And this is important for you to understand. Someone who is attempting to do the things that God wants them to do, to say, okay, I want to do what God wants me to do. Understand that Satan's goal is to destroy every work of God. We see him right at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, tempting Eve, questioning God. Did God really say, don't eat of the tree? Did he really? Just, just simply questioning, right? His goal to destroy the work of God. We see in the book of Matthew, Satan shows up again. To, and Jesus is called the second Adam. And here Satan shows up again and, and, and to tempt the second Adam the way he tempted the first Adam. And he goes to tempt the second Adam. But Jesus stands firm and doesn't fall. But you see, what is, what's Satan go? He's trying once again to destroy the work of God. What, what God was doing in the person of Jesus to bring redemption to the world, to bring hope to the world, Satan wanted to destroy that mission. We see uh, Satan at the end in the book of Revelation is called the deceiver of the whole world. In order to accomplish this deception of the world, we see two more things. If we go back to our text in Ephesians, we see two more things. And I'll put this up as number five, something that's true about Satan. Satan is a schemer. He's a schemer. We see that uh, in some versions it says the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil. He is a schemer. That word schemes or wiles uh, is a word that means methods or strategy. The strategy of Satan. I believe that Satan is operating on every level of society. He's working. He's got his minions out doing his business, seeking to deceive. He's got big plans. To bring this world down. And he wants to destroy you in the process. You see him all along uh, working, even in king's hearts. We see King David, uh, when he's at the peak of his, uh, uh, his kingship, is tempted by Satan just to simply do something that God had said don't do, to number the people. I have to wonder sometimes how much Satan is at work even in our own town in Danville. You ever wonder that? I mean, God does not seek, or Satan does not seek to have this town turn its heart to Jesus Christ, does it? You think there's any demonic activity in Danville, Illinois? Absolutely. There are people who in this town have lives that are hurting, that are lost, that are desperate. And many of them, it's the clear work of Satan in their lives to bring them to a point of depending on things other than God. Is that not true? Seeking their happiness in something besides God. Seeking their joy in something besides God. Anything but God. That's what Satan is after. Anything but God. Find your contentment. Find your peace. Find your happiness in anything but God. Satan is at work in Danville. Even though Satan doesn't cause every sin, the Bible clearly states over and over again that at the core of every sin... Satan is a part of that. Consider 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says this, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is what? Of the devil. 
Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You see in this, you see in this verse that, that it's, it's laid out, even though Satan himself doesn't cause every unique sin. In fact, we read in the book of James that, that many of our sins are caused by the lusts of our own heart. But we know that ultimately Satan is the originator of sin in this world. And when you follow after sin and you're practicing sin, you're continuing on in sin, it's clear throughout Scripture that you're not following God, you are following the devil. Don't forget that. Wayne Grudem, a theologian, puts it this way. He says, The tactics of Satan are the strategy of Satan, the wiles of Satan, and his demons are to use lies and deception and murder and every other kind of destructive activity to attempt to cause people to turn away from God and destroy themselves. So it leads us into the next thing here. Not only is Satan a schemer, he's a deceiver. That's what Paul called him in this passage, the devil, the deceiver. According to John chapter 8, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he says this. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And listen to this. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a deceiver. He's a liar. I'm not afraid to say it. He is a liar. He will lie to you and lie to you and lie to you and lie to you to do anything to get you to not have God as your central focus of your life. Anything but God. It plays even into the role of false teaching. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to a young pastor and he says this. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times or in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves, listen to this, to deceitful spirits and what? Teachings of demons. Now, I don't want you to be confused here. I don't think the teaching of demons are, are like a demon came into a building and said, I want you to learn this. You know, that's not at all what's happening. What Paul is doing when he's telling you this is that anything that is a false teaching finds its source in Satan, in demons. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Talking about false teachers, he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves. Notice what does it say? Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, and here's that passage I read to you earlier, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Satan's a liar. There may be some lies of Satan that you've fallen into. How about this one? Good people go to heaven. That is a lie of Satan. That is not who goes to heaven. Who goes to heaven is people who know that Jesus is their only hope. And that all of their faith is in Jesus. And all of their hope is that they've taken all the eggs and put them in one basket, the Jesus basket. That's a lie of Satan. You've got to be good enough. You've got to be good enough. If you're good enough, you go to heaven, you're fine. 
Jesus by goodness. Another lie of Satan. Self-reform. It's good to re- get, straighten up your act. Get yourself together. See, it stems from the first problem, doesn't it? Good people go to heaven. I've got to get myself together. And I've done enough by just cleaning up my act. If I've, if I've cleaned up myself, maybe I was into this, maybe I was into this, maybe I had all these wrong things that was going on. If I, my, the, what, what I need to do is I need to clean it up. Satan is, Satan is into self-reform. Some of the most righteous people on the planet were the Pharisees. And yet Jesus calls them sons of the devil. Why? Because they're living horrible, horrendous lives? No. There was a lie that they, were, they had believed that their righteousness was their own. I'm, a, I'm better than this person because I'm not doing the things that they're doing. That's a lie of Satan. If you think you're better because you're here today, that's, that's Satan telling you that. You're, you're not a better person because you show up at church. Some of us, that's what we think. But I think I've done what God wants. I, I did what God wanted me to do, so now God's more pleased with me. Or maybe there's something you need in your life and you're saying, oh, I really need God to do this in my life. I really need a job. I really need this. I really need this. And you think, oh, man, if I just go and start doing the things he wants me to do, he'll give me what I want. That's a lie of Satan. God gives us things by free grace. It's gifts that God gives us. We do not earn anything from him. The Bible says, what could we give him? What could you give God that he doesn't already have? He owns everything. God is a God of grace. Salvation is of grace. Maybe you believe the, the lie that, that, that God is ple- so much more pleased with you. Maybe it's even, a, uh, we, we've had some people coming for baptism. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's been that in your life. Maybe you look back in your life and you think, I know I'm okay because I've gotten baptized. Now I can go to heaven. Maybe I know I'm okay because I've gone to church enough times. Maybe I know I'm okay because I've had communion. Maybe I know I'm okay because of this. And you start listening to all these things that you've done. And you, you, my confidence... Oh, or maybe it's this. I know for sure because I prayed this prayer when I was five. What? Salvation is a free gift of God's grace working your heart. Your salvation does not rest in what you have done. Satan wants you to think that. Satan wants your focus to be entirely on what you're doing and what you've done and what you've accomplished. He, Satan doesn't mind if people start going to church as long as their focus is not entirely on Jesus. In fact, he's still won a victory if you show up at church and you think you've done something good. The gospel message is a gospel of free grace. In the book of Galatians, in the book of Galatians, we see how Paul's talking to the Galatian people, and he's talking about some false teaching that had snuck into, and he ascribes it to Satan. But the false teaching was simply doing more things that are good. You've got to do more. And that will make you righteous. And Paul talks to them about being in bondage still to Satan. And it was hindering them from coming to God. In 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, it tells us that Satan is attempting to blind people to the gospel. But now there's something else that I need to tell you about Satan. There's one more thing and it's my favorite thing to tell you. So if you've been listening and you kind of, you know, settled in and you're getting sleepy because it's warm in here, let me tell you this. I don't want you to miss this last thing. 
I do not want you to miss this last thing about Satan. This is the most important thing I'm going to tell you about Satan. I love telling it. Satan is already defeated. He is a defeated enemy. He's already defeated. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus talks about Satan. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's a defeated enemy. Listen to this in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Talking about Jesus, says, Through death, talking about what Jesus did on the cross, it says, Through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, the reason why I want to share this verse with you is this. One of my favorite things about what Jesus did, God's plan for our redemption, this is my favorite thing. I'm being honest with you. I just love this. God used Satan to destroy Satan. He used the greatest sin ever committed was the most righteous person, Jesus Christ, dying on a cross, being crucified unjustly, the only righteous one that's ever lived, to suffer that sort of punishment, to take the blame of sin. What a victory for Satan, but yet it was the greatest victory of God. God used the biggest sin to kill sin. He used death to kill death. That's the kind of God that we serve. I almost think, here, let let me show you this next passage here. In uh, Colossians, Colossians, it tells us this. He says, he disarmed the rulers, talking about Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, and listen to this, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Do you see how he did that in in the cross? Putting them to open shame? I mean, I've always wished, I wish I could have seen the look on Satan's face when he realized that the victory he thought he'd won in having Christ killed was his own defeat. I, I personally don't think he knew that's what was happening. I personally think that Satan thought, I did, I killed Jesus. I riled the people, but I got him. And then there's that few days later, he rises from the dead, and I wonder if Satan went, The Bible tells us he was defeated at the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. And he did that on the cross. And I think the reason why he put them to open shame, I think how it's phrased that way is because he used them. He used sin to kill sin. He used Satan to defeat Satan. He used death to stop death. What a brilliant God we serve. And now, this Satan... This chief of all the angels that thought he was powerful enough to be God. If we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, what does it say? He will what? Oh, I need it, I need it louder than that. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Okay, we're going to say that louder. Because, see... We're not afraid of what he might do. If we submit ourselves to God and we resist the devil, he's going to run away. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will... Oh, that was good. He's going to run away 
from you. He's going to run away from you. Peter tells us this. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And then what does he say after that? Resist him. Resist him. Now, you may have heard this before, and and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, I I don't know enough about lions to know if this is true. (laughs) I like the picture it gives me, though. I've heard before that a roaring lion that's walking around is a lion that is either lost its teeth or it can't, it's getting old, it can't catch anything anymore. Now, I don't know if that's true. I've seen some young lions roar before, but, but I like the idea. Satan, he's walking around like a roaring lion, seeking someone he can devour, but understand, It's as simple as resisting him. He ultimately has no power over those who have Christ in their hearts. Those who have the Spirit of God active and working in them. He has no power over them. He has no power over you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. He's, He's seeking someone to devour, but we can resist him. Back in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, um, his disciples coming back, having cast out demons, say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he says to them, Behold, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And the reality is, we're not talking about having an exorcism. We're not talking about demon possessions here. But we, could, we could have a conversation about that. I'm sure that would be a really interesting class to talk about. What does that look like and how does that happen? But listen... The thing that you can't miss, because it's easy to want to detour and want to wonder about, what about demon possessions? What about these things here? What about that? Don't forget this, though. Right in the middle of your life, when you're sitting there and you're thinking, I know God wants me to read His Word, and the lies start coming, you can do it later. You can take care of it then. Don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. God loves you anyway. So, you know, don't worry about it. Just All the lies start pouring in to deter you off from doing what God wants you to do. You can say, no, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And Satan, you can't stop me. You can't keep me from doing it. Maybe it's a temptation you've fallen into repeatedly in your life. For me, this is the most important thing. In my Christian walk, this is the most important thing that I've learned in my Christian walk. Temptations that I've struggled with and challenges I've struggled with, when I learned the reality that, that he who's in me is greater than he who is in the world, and that my wrestling is not against flesh and blood, that there's a spiritual presence there that, that is, is hounding me. And when I was feeling hounded, and that hounding feeling sometimes feels like I have no choice. I can't help myself. I'm going to have to do the wrong thing. I just know I'm just going to give in. I just know I'm going to, you know, and I, I begin knowing that I can just say, no, I'm not going to do it. He who's in me is greater than he who's in the world, the Satan. The most powerful angelic being, but I've got the Spirit of God residing in me. And when I submit myself to God to do what God wants me to do, and I align myself with Him, the enemy who's already defeated takes off. Now, I want you to know something. I believe that God is beginning to bless this church in a special way. As we focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it's not about 
personal reform. It's not about getting your life together. It's not about all those things. It's about the fact that we believe that Jesus is our only hope. And we're, we're, we're trusting in Him. And if as a church we begin to hold on to that, and the people that are coming here begin to hold on to that, and there's people that are coming in this building, they're going, we just trust Jesus. We love Jesus. We're going to trust Him. We're going to do what He says because He's Jesus. He's God. I'm not. I'm just going to do what God says because I love Jesus. I know He did everything for me. I'm not trying to earn His favor anymore. I just want to be a follower. When people start doing this, I, I guarantee that Satan is going to take notice of little old Edgewood Baptist Church. And you know what I want to say? Bring it on. <laughs> he, has, he has no power over us. If it's a people, we come here together in this building, we, and, and, and as a group, we're sitting here, and you're sitting there today, and you're going, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in Him, and He's my only hope. And I'm not depending on having earned favor with God. I mean, that's not why I'm here today. I'm not trusting that maybe I've earned enough. It's all resting. I'm just here because I love Jesus. And I want to hear more about Him. And I want to understand better about how I can live for Him. What kinds of things He might want me to do. And that's why I'm here today. Then I guarantee there are going to be forces in your life that are going to try to steer you off of that path. And they're going to try to destroy this church. If I may be honest for a moment, this church has had some time of deadness. Where I'm sure that Satan said, well, don't worry about them, they're taken care of. But I don't think that's going to stay that way. I believe in the power of the gospel. And I believe in the power of gospel in your life. And I believe what God can do in each and every one of you. I believe that God, the strength of the Lord and the power of His might can work in every single one of you. And you can start going out and doing things that you've never done before. Like telling people about Jesus. Disarming those lies of the world. Oh, you're not going to go to heaven because you're good. You go to heaven because of Jesus. Right? That's what it's about. People don't go to heaven because they go to heaven because of Jesus. I'm, that's, where I'm, that's who I'm trusting. And, and maybe you're sitting here and thinking, you know, I've never done that. I've been a decent person, but I've never done that. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to tell other people about how great He is. He wants you to spread the good news of what God has accomplished. He's not as interested in you just being a good person. That's not the goal. He's interested in you becoming a, 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 a voice to the gospel, loving people around you, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And I know that this church is going to come under attack by Satan. I'm sure it already is. He's going to want to infiltrate. He's going to want to tear down. He does not want Edgewood Baptist Church to rise up and do what God wants them to do. He's going to tell you that you can't do it. He's going to tell you you're weak. Satan's going to say, you're weak. You can't do things for God. Who do you think you are? You're not, you're not worthy. You're not worth it. And you go... I know I'm not. Jesus is worthy. He's worth it. I'm just trusting in Him. I'm going to keep trusting in Him. And together as a group, we can resist Satan, and He's going to take off running. Isn't that great? Now, in the coming weeks, what we're going to talk about is a little bit more in detail, because one of the things that we've skipped as I've been going through this, we we took a look at living in the strength of God. We've taken a look at living... uh, Understanding and knowing your enemy. But there's more to it than that. Did you notice there that Paul more than once said, put on God's armor? 
right? There's something to how we can now wage warfare, that there's some preparation that we can take to do it better. And maybe you've struggled with that. Maybe, maybe the reality is you've, you've fallen. Maybe you go, I know, I know I can do that, but I never remember until too later. Maybe this happened, this happened. You just feel constantly. It's time for training. And so next week we're going to take a look at, just beginning to look at what does this warfare actually look like on a day-to-day basis. And then after that, Paul goes into a description of this actual armor. What entails the armor? And we want to look at each and every piece because I want this church to be as prepared as possible to do whatever God wants them to do. And we want to put on, like Paul says, the full armor of God. Not just part of it. We don't want just the helmet. Right? And you definitely don't want to go out there without your sword or your shield, the breastplate of righteousness. You want to go fully prepared to accomplish what God has you to accomplish. And so I want to encourage you to come back every week to hear, what, okay, what's, what, what do we got? What's the next part? What else can I do? How can I grow in being, being a better soldier for Christ? I want Satan to take notice of what we're accomplishing for Christ here. I want Satan to be sending orders down through the ranks Edgewood is rising up. Get on it. That's what I want. And I want Edgewood to rise up and say, we're going to do what you want us to do, God. And we're going to put on the full armor. The days, I believe, are short. Our time is growing less and less each day. You want to spend every day living for your king because of all that he accomplished for you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I just want to ask that you would help us today to live for you. Lord, you've accomplished everything for us. Lord, you've, you've accomplished righteousness for us. We can stand in your presence and, and not have to worry about whether or not we've done enough, Lord, because you've done everything for us. Lord, we want to just follow you. Lord, it's such good news to hear that you defeated the power of death. Lord, you defeated Satan. And all of his minions, Lord, you've defeated them. Lord, we praise you for that. We thank you that the sting of death has been taken away. We thank you, Lord, that we can live for you and one day stand in your presence. I pray that you'd be with this church, that we would begin to prepare, or that we would begin to put on your armor to prepare ourselves to take a firm stand in the evil day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.